0: Good morning, everyone. Great to be with you this morning. My name is Luke. I'm one of the pastors here. And we're missing some of our women this morning because they're still at the women's retreat, but we're sure they're having a wonderful time hanging out and hearing from God's Word. Also, before we jump into the Bible lesson this morning, I wanted to share a brief announcement with you. Pastor Tim shared this in his email blast, so hopefully you got that. If you don't get those emails from Pastor Tim, you can fill out a connection card and we'll make sure to add you. But Pastor Tim shared about our upcoming youth camp offering that we do. And so in case you missed it, let me just read what Pastor Tim said to us. He said, our youth ministry, The Ascent, will be heading to camp this summer. The junior high students will be going to Forest Home Christian Camp, and the high school students will be going to Hume Lake Christian Camp. Because of your generosity each year, we're able to keep the cost down as much as possible. This year, our annual youth camp offering is scheduled for June 18. We encourage you to prepare your special offering, which you can place in the offering box on June 18. You can also donate online anytime between now and June 20th by selecting youth camp donation in the drop down menu. Thank you for supporting our students. So we hope that you will consider. Uh, making a donation to help send every one of our kids to youth camp. You can drop those in the offering boxes next Sunday. That's our youth camp offering collection day. Or go ahead and, like Pastor Tim mentioned, make the donation online anytime up to, or through June 20th, I think he said. And with that, why don't we just say a prayer together before we start studying the Bible. Will you bow your heads with me for a word of prayer? Dear God, we worship you. You are the reason we're here this morning, God, and you're the source of everything that is beautiful and true in our world. And so we thank you for for bringing us here, God, and for blessing us in so many ways. And we want to ask your help this morning as we study the Word, that we would comprehend the value of it, God, and that you would also help us to rightly understand it and to put it into practice, God. We pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. My brother worked at an electronics store for a number of years, and he was the top salesman there in the entire store. And he wasn't always the top salesman, but after working there for a few years and not getting promoted, he thought, well, maybe if I get better at my job, they won't have any choice but to promote me. So he did. He started working really, really hard until he became number one, not just number one for like a day or a week. But over the course of an entire year, out of like 70, 75 employees in the sales floor, he said he was number one. And I found that fascinating. I would ask him questions like, how in the world do you get people to buy so much when they walk into that store, sometimes not wanting to buy anything? (laughs) But I don't mention uh, him to you because of his sales expertise. But It just so happens that my brother also loved sharing Jesus with people. His colleagues, when work was slow and he saw an opportunity to share his love for Christ, or even people who came in who might share something difficult in their life, He might pray for them or explain the hope that we have in Christ. And maybe you've heard about people like that from time to time who just seem naturally gifted at talking about Jesus wherever they go. And maybe, like me, big time, you've wondered, how how is it that they do that? How is it that they seem to be so so able and willing to, to just be an evangelist almost for Jesus? And the good news is that the Bible is actually where they're getting that from, because the Bible contains instructions about how to make disciples, how to introduce people to Jesus, Jesus, the Savior who wants a relationship with them. And what the Bible says is that in order to make disciples, you have to be willing to go. You have to go to everyone with the intention of sharing Jesus. That means going to your job. That means going to your school where you study and learn Going to the gym where you work out and not just going to each of these places to go to them because that's the temptation, isn't it? The temptation is to go to work just to work because you need to make a living, to go to school to learn because that's what you're there for, and to go to the gym to exercise because we all know exercise is important. And while all of that is true and those are wonderful, beautiful parts of life, there's a much bigger adventure to life. Than that because you see I don't know if you know this but we will work in heaven and it'll be better than any job you had here on earth and we will still learn in heaven learning is part of being human to be human is to always be learning and we'll play and have fun and do so many of the things that we do right now in this life but it'll be far better but there's a reason we're still here is to share Jesus with people who don't know him. We have a tiny sliver in the span of all of eternity, the short breath of a life. To share Jesus with people who don't know him, the people who the Bible describes as lost, and to introduce them to an eternal life that we will spend forever with them, with the Lord. And so the Bible says if you want to make disciples, then go. Go to everyone. Everyone you work with, study with, play with, and don't just go to go, but go with the intention and the purpose and the mission to make Jesus known. We're going to be reading in Matthew chapter 28. This morning, Matthew chapter 28, you can turn there and read in your Bibles as we read it, or you can follow along on the screen. And as we start reading in verse 16 here, see if you can hear in the text how God instructs us to make disciples by going for the purpose of making disciples to everyone. He says this, starting in verse 16. Then the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. When they saw him, they worshipped him. Wow. But some doubted. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the... Oh, I think I went too far. I was, I was going to stop... I think at uh, halfway through 19. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations. We'll pause there for now. Of course, we're going to read the whole thing. But he says, go, make disciples of all nations. This is the risen Christ, of course, at the end of Matthew's gospel. He meets his disciples on this mountain, this place, where he told them, I'm going to meet you there. And then what does he do? He gives them what is often referred to as the Great Commission. The standing orders of the church. And what does he say? He says, make disciples. I'm not a Greek grammar expert, but if you look at a good commentary on this passage, it will tell you the main verb in this command that he gives is one word, make disciples. That's how we translate it. It's an imperative verb. And the other verbs that surround it, like go, are they're not the main verb. Those are participles. And so one, so part of the way that you make disciples he says, is by going to all people. Going to everyone. There's no exclusions or exceptions. Whether you work with them, live with them, correspond with them from afar, go to make Jesus known. And of course, some of us are called literally to global missions where we leave our friends and family and travel across the world to share Jesus with everyone in that part of the world. But whether we go far or whether we stay near, we all are called to go with the purpose of making disciples of Jesus Christ. My brother who who worked at the electronics store for a number of years he told me that he used to pray for his colleagues on his way to work. He said it was very convenient because I rode a bicycle to work, and it was about a 20-minute commute. And he said, I didn't pray the whole way every time. Sometimes I did. But I would at least just pray a little while on my bike ride to work for my colleagues. And so I was talking to him about it this past week, and I said, how would you pray for them? And he said, oh, I would just pour my heart out to God as, as if he was my friend i just say, Jesus, please save my coworkers. Please, Jesus, save John. I would say them by name. I would call them by name. I'd say, dear Lord Jesus, please save Sarah. Save Adam. Save. And he would just list the names of them. He said, I would pray against anything that our spiritual adversary might do to prevent them from hearing and believing the message of Jesus. And when he would get to work, he would often have opportunities in staff meetings when everyone's sharing about their weekend to include Christ and his walk with him and what he would share, or to pray for someone who who was hurting, or to even share the gospel when a window opened up to do that. And nothing incredible happened. None of them said, hey, can I come to church with you, or... Or, I'd like to know how to have a relationship with God, you know, nothing like that. But to the contrary, my brother started getting night terrors. I don't know if you've ever had these. But the first one, he dreamed that his daughter was murdered, his young daughter. And he said it was like it was real, and it was horrific. And even after he woke up, the emotional burden of it was so heavy. That happens sometimes, I guess. But the next night, he went to bed. And he had a night terror again, and it was a different family member this time, being murdered in a different way. And the next night, again, he said he felt like his family members were being systematically murdered every time he closed his eyes to sleep. And I remember during these months of his life when this was happening, and I remember seeing him one time with dark rings under his eyes. He'd been getting severe migraines because the night terrors were so severe that he couldn't sleep well. And he saw me and he hugged me with tears and with moist eyes and he said, I had a nightmare that you died and it felt so real. The thought occurred to him that maybe this could be something spiritual. That maybe the enemy didn't like the fact that he was interceding daily for his colleagues and sharing Jesus boldly with them. And so he tried praying one night, he said, before he went to bed. He just asked God to let him sleep and to protect him from these night terrors. And sure enough, he slept for the first time through the night with, not a, with no night terror. Of course, the next night he prayed again and he slept again very well and every night he prayed, he said, he slept like a baby. But now and then, he would forget to pray, and he said he would be awoken in the night with a terror of a family member being murdered. During this time, one of his colleagues pulled him aside on the sales floor. This was a young man who he'd shared the gospel with a few months prior, when work was slow. And this young man looked around, and he said... You know I'm not religious, right? Yeah, I know. You're an atheist. Yeah. But I have to tell you about this dream I had last night. It wasn't like a dream, he said. It was more like a download. I've never experienced anything like it. Last night I dreamed that I was tied to a stake on a huge pile of wood and it was set on fire, and the flames were, were, were coming closer and closer to me. But out in front of me, a man appeared, and he yelled to me, and he said, You don't have to die. You can ask God to save you. My brother was very interested, and he said, Wow, what did this man look like? He had a beard, and he looked like he lived in the desert maybe. Smiling, my brother said, that's Jesus. And you should listen to him. You should ask him to save you. Now, there's more to the story. But I wanted to share that part of it because I think my brother serves as an excellent example of going with the purpose of making disciples. I love his example of praying for his colleagues on his way to work. Why not? He was about to spend the next eight hours of his day with them, perfectly positioned to be a light of Christ, to share Jesus with them in big ways and small ways to carry out the mission that God has given him. And maybe this week as we reflect on the standing orders, the mission of the church, the reason that we're here, some of us might consider on our drive to pick up our kids from school. Lord, give me opportunities for spiritual conversations. God, show me how to speak into their life to encourage them to trust in you. Maybe on your commute to work, you can say a short prayer. Ask God to to open the eyes and the hearts of your colleagues to receive the good news of Jesus, to come with you when you invite them to an event at your church, to do more than just to go, to go, but to realize that there is an adventure of this life, a tiny sliver of time, an opportunity in the span of all eternity to do what can never be done again, which is to share the good news with the lost. And of course, when the lost hear, and when the lost believe, and they receive Jesus into their heart as their Lord and Savior, it would make sense, wouldn't it, if there were a symbol, a marker of some kind to remember the transformation that they've just gone through. We use symbols for all kinds of transitions in life. And the biggest transition of life of all comes with a symbol prescribed by God himself. He says that when these people hear and believe, baptize them. Pull them under water, just like Jesus went into the grave and pull them out just like Jesus rose from the dead so that they can breathe again and remember in a beautiful, powerful way their union with Christ in his death and resurrection as they begin this new journey of faith. And so even though baptism is awkward, I don't think I'm the only one, maybe because I'm an introvert, but it's not exactly exciting to stand in front of people you hardly know after you become a Christian in a little room full of people like this, put funny clothes on and go under the water and then come up and talk about your religious beliefs. Even though it's kind of awkward and uncomfortable, we trust God that he knows what he's doing when he tells us to be baptized, that there is power in the symbol of baptism. That even though it doesn't save us, it is a means of grace. A symbol that God uses to strengthen and encourage us in our faith, in our walk with Him. And it's a blessing to the person who obeys and is baptized. And it's a blessing to all of us who get to watch it and remember our incredible union with Christ. Let's, uh, Let's keep reading. We'll start again in verse 18 and then read a little farther this time. And uh, see if you hear how baptism fits into this mission as well. It says, starting in verse 18, it says, then Jesus came to them and said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them, in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. He says, go, and the next participle is baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And my guess is that many of you here have obeyed that command. After becoming a follower of Jesus, you expressed that faith by getting baptized in front of your church family, professing your faith and saying, I believe in Jesus Christ. I was in, on vacation last month in Utah with my brother, Philip, who worked at the electronics store, and while we were having lunch at Chick-fil-A, he got a text message, and I could tell by his reaction that it was something interesting. Well, it turned out it was his friend, his, well, his former colleague who had had that dream. He texted him. They hadn't worked together in years, and the one time my brother tried to reach out to him, he got no response. And his text message said, I finally got around to reading the introduction of that book you gave me. There's the Bible. And I haven't been able to stop thinking about that dream that I told you about. And I think it's time that I need to start taking it more seriously. I was wondering if I could come to church with you on Sunday. And, of course, my brother and me were ecstatic, and my brother said, yeah, of course you can come to church. That was just in a couple days from then. He said, I'll see you, I'll see you there on Sunday. I gave him the address. Sunday rolled around, and my brother was expecting you know, to see him, but he got a, a message at the last minute, and he said, I'm sorry, I can't come. I, I've hurt my back. I won't be able to make it. That's okay, my brother said. There's always next week. And so sure enough, the next week rolled around and my brother was uh, expecting to see him at church and he arrived this time, but he looked a little shaken and he said, I almost got in a car accident on my way here. He said, it almost seems like something doesn't want me here. And then this former colleague of my brother's, this admitted atheist who would antagonize Christians growing up, he told my brother sat down next to my brother in a city away from here in a church like this and listened to the worship songs and heard the word of God preached. And I mention that because how awesome is it when someone like that, someone like the Apostle Paul to use a more extreme example, who who doesn't, want to have anything to do with God's people, is maybe even antagonistic and hateful towards them, finally does surrender their life to Jesus. Come to faith and then stand in front of those people who they hated, those Christians, and let them push them underwater. Pull them out in their funny outfit that they're wearing. And then dripping, give glory to God and express their faith in Jesus Christ. What a powerful moment that is when people like that get baptized, come to faith, and experience the symbol of their salvation. And it's beautiful any time any of us does it. Any time someone is baptized, it reminds us all of our union with Christ, of how when he went into the grave, it was because he had paid the penalty for our sins. And that when he rose from the grave in new life, we were bound to him in that life. And we now walk in the newness of life as we follow our risen Lord. And so I hope if you haven't been baptized, but you believe in Jesus, it's never too late to obey And to trust that our God is no fool. That he commands baptism for a reason. Because we have a race to run. We have a fight to fight, the Apostle Paul calls it. Of faith. And this journey, this race, this fight requires as much divine help from God as we can get. To finish it faithfully. And one of the ways that he infuses us with his grace is through the means of grace in baptism the symbol of our union with Christ. And so I'm glad that we even offer baptism. I don't know if you know this, when nobody signed up to be baptized, we still put the tank on the stage. It's already awkward. You have a giant feeding trough full of water indoors, And we trust that perhaps God will put it on someone's heart to experience baptism. And I think almost every time, even when no one was signed up, someone stands up. And comes. And aren't we all blessed? And they come out of the water to our cheers. And I think maybe the cheers of angels too. That we can't hear. And if, if that marks the beginning. In most cases. Of our journey with Jesus. Of discipleship to him. Then by it's very nature. Baptism is not a finish line. But it's just a starting point. Of a life of learning how to follow Jesus better and better and better. It's the beginning of a journey of studying everything our master commands us to do in this book. And then not just stopping there, but practicing it faithfully, diligently, until we get better at it and better at it and better at it. Better at being disciples of Jesus Christ, which is exactly what is part of what he tells us here to do. He tells us not just to go, not just to baptize those who believe and are saved, but then to be committed to teaching them everything that Jesus commands in this book. And of course, we can't teach them if we aren't learners ourselves who know what to teach. Let's look at the, we'll finish off this, this paragraph here, and we'll start reading in verse 19 this time, and uh, we'll read all the way to the end. It says this starting in verse 19. It says, therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the end of the age. These are our, well, in some ways it's been said that Matthew is not a closed book. It's an open book. Because in the previous five sections of the book, they conclude with Jesus teaching. But the last section concludes instead with Jesus telling us to teach. Meaning we now get to carry on the ministry of Jesus himself. Teaching, learning, because we can't teach what we don't know, and then teaching the word of God. Everything that Jesus commands, which I should note takes discipline and perseverance and hard work. Sometimes it's not easy to study the Bible or to practice it in every area of life with diligence. It can be quite It can require some perseverance, some patience. It's not immediately rewarding. But these are the instructions for how to live our new life with Christ. These are instructions for how to live as new creations. And so even if it takes all the discipline and study and perseverance in the world to learn and practice this book, we'll gladly do it because we're learning through study and practice, how to throw off the sin that so easily entangles the bitterness, the envy, the hatred that promises to fill us and leaves us hollow and broken. And learning step by step how to walk in the spirit, how to walk in love and joy and forgiveness. And so, hey, we'll show up when Pastor Tim preaches week after week. We'll listen. We'll do the work of taking some notes. And we'll go to our Bible studies, and we won't, we won't keep quiet and be too shy to share what we've learned that week in God's word. Because we know that Jesus is discipling his people right now. And a big part of the way he does it is through his body, who are filled his people, you and me, who are filled with His presence, who study God's word, practice God's word, and share God's word with each other, out on the patio, in our Bible studies, from the stage. We'll do what it takes to learn how to live the life of freedom that Jesus purchased for us with His life. My brother um, sat next to his friend, his colleague. Um, former colleague in church. And when the service was over, they had um, prayer afterwards, similar to how we have prayer here afterwards. We say, you know, if you want to come up, the elders can pray with you. And so my brother looked at his colleague, and he said, do you want to go up for prayer? And his colleague said, yeah. So they got up, and they went to the front of the room, and this elder from the church prayed over him, And then he looked at him afterwards, they'd chatted and he'd prayed over him and he said, would you like to invite Jesus into your heart right now to be your Lord and your Savior? And he said, yes, I would. And they all bowed their heads again and and he expressed his desire to invite the Lord into his life right there um, with my brother and with this elder and, of course, when my brother came home and told me, I was like, wow, no way. What a, what a conclusion to the story. And in some ways, you don't want to get your hopes up, but it was just wonderful news. And since that moment that I heard that his colleague had done this, I've seen less of my brother. I've seen less of him because oftentimes when I would normally see him, he's having coffee with his former colleague. And he's studying the Bible with him. And answering his questions, you can imagine how many questions a person like this has when it comes to faith. What does it mean, the fear of the Lord? What is that? How can hell exist if God is a God of love? I mean, there's so many questions you have when you, when you take that step of faith and begin to follow Jesus. And every time I hear, oh, he's not here because he's with so-and-so, my heart just fills with joy because I know that that is the commission, the standing mission that God has given us of making disciples of the world. And after we had left uh, Chick-fil-A, you know, when we were on vacation and we were driving in the car, this was before his friend had come to church, but we're just driving in the car and and one of the topics we talk about sometimes is heaven. You know, when we're just curious about heaven. What will it be like? What will be there? And for some reason, my brother mentioned something about, like, the rewards in heaven and what does the Bible mean when it talks about them. And I saw an opportunity to maybe encourage my brother a little bit. So this is what I said. I said, you know, I think we might be surprised who God honors and rewards the most. When on the day of judgment. I said, we all think it's going to be like the famous preachers and authors and stuff. And I said, you know, maybe they will get their reward. I said, you know, I have a feeling a lot of the people who God honors on that day, they're going to be people who, in this life, we thought were pretty small and insignificant. Maybe, I said, People like uh, someone who works at an electronics store and wants to provide for his family, so he decides he's going to work harder than ever to get promoted. And after a whole year of working there, he's the number one salesman in the whole place. But his boss still won't promote him. And he realizes it's probably because he talks too much about Jesus. Jesus. And regretfully and with sadness, he turns in his resignation and has to look for a job somewhere else. And I said, you know, something tells me. There's going to be a lot of people like that who are going to be honored and rewarded, who will hear Jesus say, you were faithful with little. Now I will put you over Much. Well done, my good and faithful servant. And I looked over and I noticed my brother just wiping a little tear from his eye. It was especially powerful because since moving on, he'd got another job, but they couldn't afford to keep him because of business. And so he was looking for work again. So I think it hit him a little especially hard in that moment, which is what I wanted to do. I was trying to encourage him. And may I encourage you this morning by reminding you, that we have a sliver of time in the span of all eternity to do what can only be done in this life, an adventure of sharing Jesus with the lost. And so with all your reservations and all your hesitations and questions that might come up when you consider it, I hope that you will nevertheless go before the Lord in your heart right now and say, God, I don't know how, but here I am. Send me. Send me to my workplace, God. Send me to my friends and family. Send me, Lord, to never just be going to go, but to be a light for you, to share the good news of Jesus Christ in big ways and small, so that I can make an impact into eternity on those lives and hearts that you touch through me. Let's pray. Dear God, thank you so much for your friendship. Thank you that we can pour our hearts out to you in prayer, asking the big questions of life, Lord, even telling you about our doubts. And thank you, God, that you respond, that, you, that your Holy Spirit comforts us, guides us, and teaches us through your word, Lord. And I just pray this morning that we would draw near to you in Jesus Christ and in the closeness and sweetness of that friendship, Lord, with our hearts purified from any sin, knowing that we're forgiven, that you would give us boldness, God, to share you, that you would give us the ideas that fit each of our unique personalities of what we can do, Lord, to faithfully carry out the mission that you have given us as your people, your church. I pray that you would be honored now as we stand and sing. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.